when we're talking about securing church, we're talking about church being a place for discipleship. That's what we've uh, started thinking about. And uh, last time we did this together, talked about this, this kind of illusion, uh, optical illusion. You can either see an old lady or a young woman. And my point I was trying to make is I feel like we've kind of we tended to look at church in one way. And it's maybe it's not the whole way. So even if you think about the language we use, we talk about worship, we talk about ministry, we talk about calling. We've narrowed all these words down to very specific meanings. And actually, what God wants to do in the church is so much more. And so we really want to think about what is it to be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus, to learn the skills of living life like Jesus did. And so this I just is a helpful for me because I don't think we are doing anything new like there's no new revelations there's no radical new things I just think it is slight shift of perspective a slight shift of focus into what really will help us learn to live a life like Jesus uh, and one of the ways we think about this is we tend to just live our default life the life that is served up to us by culture the things that we do because they're easy or the things that we do because if we didn't do them there would be trouble and actually, God's life for us will take us outside of that default life. Uh, so the picture we have for that is a plate with a P on it, if you watch the video, this video session from last week. And the idea that sometimes our P stays in our plate, but God has stuff for us outside the plate. If you take the analogy too far, it just stops. I mean, I think it's already stopped making sense. But this idea that God has a life for us that we won't live unless we give him the opportunity to lead us into that life. Uh, and so we, as a church, are thinking about the structure to help us be a church that prioritizes making disciples. And it's really interesting. So Sarah and I have led the church for 17 years. I really feel in the last few years, discipleship has just become this real buzzword in, like, in church stuff that you see, the conferences, the books. And, uh, but what lots of places are offering, what are these kind of like courses or programs that you do to make your church into a disciple-making church. And they're all um, about how do you reorganize the structure of your church. And what I think is really interesting, and I feel like God's been doing with us, is we're coming, we're not trying just to restructure our church to do discipleship. We, this is a process we've been on for like eight, nine years. And uh, we're now talking about restructuring, but I really do believe it's not just activity that will help us do that. It's our way of, of seeing things slightly differently that is going to be really important to us. So we've been on this for a long while. And so even like uh, when we first did Joyfest, which was a way of like... Uh, Joyfest was part of this process for us. Of instead of seeing the way that we interact with the world as being an organized activity that one person organizes and we're going to do outreach... For us to think, well, who's, what about my neighbours or my colleagues or the people I pass in the street? What might God be wanting to do through me? So we, we've been doing those things, the language we use. We always talk about sung worship or time of singing instead of worship, things like that. Because we want to change the way we see things, and now we're kind of into organising. So, we, um, so we've kind of got this kind of three-pronged attack, I guess, to become a church with discipleship. And we've been doing a whole church service. That's, that was kind of our multi-purpose tool for, for years. You know, we were trying to do everything through this, you know, discipleship, teaching, pastoral care, uh, fellowship, all those things. We're trying to do it all in this. And then we 
as the pandemic helps us kind of move into this idea of doing hubs, which are smaller groups that do a church around a dinner table. It looks differently, but it's still about orientating ourselves around God and around his people. So it's still church. Uh, and that's why we do two times a month. We do a video that hubs can watch together. But what we're talking about in this series is about this new kind of thing called discipleship groups, which we feel is like a really important third aspect for us to be a church that does, um, that prioritizes discipleship. So these six weeks that we're doing, and this is the third session, we're talking about the principles that are like just so obvious from the Bible and so uh, un remarkable but just how these kind of play out into this idea of discipleship groups and so discipleship groups let me just run through what they are they do cabdac is uh the way it's like this process that you run through so we get um maybe three four five people it takes about an hour do it every fortnight is the recommendation you just meet up and you just get together and the whole thing is about uh what, what's God saying and what am I going to do about it? So you arrive, you start with a chat and catch up. So let's say this is the second session. It's like, how things gone since two weeks ago? How are you doing? What's going on? What happened with the question you wanted us to ask, which we'll get to? And then you ask God, God, we know that you're here. We know that you want to work in our lives. We pray that we would be sensitive as we meet together. Like, you know, a one-minute prayer. Be Bible. So we turn to the Bible. We want God to speak to us through the Bible. It tells us that the Bible is the living word of God, which means it can speak to us. It's not just old words on a page, but God wants to use it to communicate to us. So the hub leaders have been doing this for like four months or so as a tryout. I really think what's really good is to use Psalms for this. Because our temptation uh, from the kind of way that we've seen the world, the, you know, those two pictures of those two women, the illusion, is we think the Bible's about getting more information and learning facts and knowing stuff and asking questions and finding out information and, and you know, stuff like that. So the Psalms are really good because what we want to use the Bible for is more to allow God to speak to us. So Psalms can be useful. We can do, you can do it in anywhere. But, you know, it's, you read it and you're like, that bit about joy kind of really stood out to me. Or that thing about God being with us, that kind of stands out to me because I know I'm quite fearful about this part of my life. So we're just allowing uh, the Bible to prod us, you know, like to give us a nudge. And then in our group, the together you discuss and discern what is it that God might be saying. If you've ever done coaching in a work environment, the idea of coaching is what, what's going on, what's the issue, and then you, someone doesn't say this is what you must do. You're kind of thinking what... What is it I should do? And then we own the thing. So in this process, it's like coaching, but we've got the Holy Spirit inside us that is prompting and alerting. So, you know, oh, that thing about joy really stood out to me. I don't feel like I've got a lot of joy in my life. I feel a bit of an emotional zombie at the moment. You know, that's, that's what I feel is going on with me. Uh, and so this is what I'm going to do about it. This is what I'm going to do in the next couple of weeks, this small step. I'm going to do more of that hobby that I love that brings me joy. I'm going to go out for a walk and make sure I prioritize it. Because our default life, even the good things that we want to do, our good intentions, often we don't do it because we have other stuff going on. And no one's going to check up on us. No one's going to say, oh, did you do that? So we think, oh, this week I'd like to do this good thing. And then we just never get around to it because we get busy and we just spend all our time on social media and stuff like that. But so... Uh, 
we, we then, as we leave, we say, God, pray you'd help us this week to do this, this next fortnight, be involved, help us find you, all that thing. And then as you leave, you message the rest of your group a question. Next week, ask me, did I, have you gone on a walk? Have you pursued that hobby? Have you spent time with that person? Whatever it is we felt God was doing. So we know two weeks later someone's going to ask us. And I really believe this process of uh, discerning what God wants us to do, verbalizing it, knowing someone's going to ask us about it, really helps our pee leave the plate. That pushes us out of our default life. Those things that we just wouldn't get round to, wouldn't do. Sometimes it's like joy stuff, but sometimes it might be, you know, like the fear example. I need to have a chat with that person, and I've been putting it off and off. And uh, I really feel I don't want to do it. I wish I didn't have to do it, but I think it's the right thing to do. You know, the same thing. I know someone's going to ask me about it, but I also know that they're praying and they're on my side. And so it gives us courage to do it. So this is what we are want to do no one's going to make you join a discipleship group but kind of like as we get to the end of these six weeks what we want to do is you just if you want to do it find two or three other people and just say do you want to do this I think this would be a helpful investment in my own life and uh, do you want to do it with me the bar's reasonably high because firstly you've got to find an hour of fortnight that you prioritize this which sounds ridiculously simple doesn't it especially if you have the screen time app on your phone and you look how long you spend on certain apps finding an hour should be easy but it's actually harder you know and sometimes that can decide who you're in groups with when you can do it how you can fit it around we can have coffee before work we can do it in our lunch hour we can do it in the pub on a Friday evening all these things you can do all your prayers with your eyes open it's okay it's still legit um, and uh and the other high bar, not just time commitment, but I think it is a willingness to say to God, you can disrupt my default life. Like the reality, some of us will just be like, actually, I like my life. I don't really want anything to change. And that's why no one's going to force you to do this. But I think the life that God has for us requires us to say, well, God, you're in charge. You can disrupt it for us to get that. So we're going through this series. We started two sessions ago about being empowered. This idea, this dynamic that sometimes happens in church, that the person up the front is the one who knows what everyone should do and says, let's all do this. And you spend a lot of time persuading people to do these things. I've done that for a number of years. I just don't want to do it anymore. I don't think it's very good. If you want to join a discipleship group, sort it out, do it. It's great. I think it would be good. I'm, not, I'm just going to tell you why it's good, but I'm not going to try and make it happen for you. So we are each empowered. We looked at how the Holy Spirit is within us, in our heart, communicating with the Father, uh, cheering us on, all those things. We are not dependent on other people and certainly not the people that we think are the better Christians. And then last session, the video one, was about spiritual nourishment, this idea of being fed. Uh, I don't know if you've watched it, but I've never eaten fish and chips so fast. And, and I certainly wasn't expecting the edit to show so much of me eating peas. I would just like to apologize. I don't normally eat peas at that rate. I had three cameras set up in a pub. I was feeling slightly self-conscious because there were other people there. And, uh, and I'm just like, I don't want to stop them while I leisurely eat my peas. I'll keep the cameras running. Just eat my peas, and this can all be edited out. I don't do the editing, uh, and Jacob save me up you know <laughs> stitch me up on that one um so anyway that idea you know we can sometimes feel you know this idea of being fed in church often people talk about being fed they talk about like am i am i learning new information but actually jesus said this is my spiritual food to know the will of the one who sent me and finish it and do it 
So this thing, of to, and this is what these discipleship groups are about. What's God's will for me in the next two weeks? What little step does he want to be involved in and me to do? And then do it. And that's where we find we get the nourishment to grow. Uh, and so today, the third one, we want to talk about being individual and unique. And this is really important. This is really the idea as well of decentralizing what we understand as church and pushing it out into what is God saying to each of us. It means that, that we need to understand that one of the ways God works with us is that we are unique individuals. In Ephesians, it says, you are God's masterpiece. I am God's masterpiece. Insert your name is God's masterpiece. Not you are God's reproduction. You're not God's photocopy. You're not God's print masterpiece. This unique work. I have a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's quite a long one, but um, I really like it. So, and what he's doing, C.S. Lewis, from a philo- philosophical mind, uh, kind of viewpoint is saying why are why are we all unique and is that the right way and he says this the signature on each soul may be a product of hereditary and environment you know that's why we are all unique what's gone on in the biology but that only means that hered- hereditary hereditary hered- hereditary hereditary and environment are among the instruments whereby God creates a soul. I'm considering not how, but why he makes each soul unique. If he had no use for all these differences, I do not see why he should have created more souls than one. Be sure that the ins and outs of your individuality are no mystery to him. And one day there will be no, no longer be a mystery to you. The mold in which a key is made would be a strange thing if you had never seen a key. And the key itself a strange thing if you had never seen a lock. Your soul has a curious shape because it is a hollow made to fit a particular swelling in the infinite contours of the divine substance or a key to unlock one of the doors in the house with many mansions. For it is not humanity in the abstract that is to be saved, but you, you, the individual reader, John Stubbs or Janet Smith. Blessed and fortunate creature, your eyes shall behold him and not another's. All that you are, sins apart, is destined, if you will let God have his good way, to utter satisfaction. This idea that God's expression of his image is, his image is so vast, so wonderful, that seven billion people can't capture it. And that however many people have lived and died can't capture it. That the unique individuality to us is part of what God designed us to have. Now, if you, I don't know if you've ever felt this at church, but I certainly have, that you can feel like, I'm, I don't quite fit in. You know, there are these people, they, church kind of, they're kind of church people and they do really well, but not me. And I think this, this is a failing of our understanding of church, that we do church kind of one-dimensionally sometimes, and we feel it doesn't quite fit for us. But the reality is God has made us unique and individual for a purpose, for an expression of, of himself, for wonderful things. And so we shouldn't ever feel like we, do, we don't quite fit in, we don't cut it, we're not quite good enough, because all these things are ridiculous. We are just made uniquely. I just really randomly am reading a book, and when I say reading, listen to it on Audible, uh, called, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but anyway, 
It's, it's based on this, like, how you, how you follow God, how you, how you are changed by God. And this guy is using, I didn't even know this either, Did you, like Myers-Briggs. You know Myers-Briggs? See, I didn't know that was based on Jungian psychology. But anyway, so he's using all this, and he's talking about how if you're, you know, the way you're designed is how you would respond to God and how you would find it hard to respond to God. And he makes lots of points, like the way the church has been designed or the way we do church in the West really suits these certain personalities and not others. And I've certainly seen that. I've seen people who just never really kind of get, you know, like, I don't know if you've been in a church where, like, success is you kind of working your way up the church career ladder. You know, you're like, oh, I'm an assistant home group leader. Oh, now I'm the home group leader. You know, you're kind of working your way up. And, and people who've just that doesn't work for them and then feel like well I'm not you know I'm a bit of a failure when it comes to my faith and stuff and yet I've talked to some people like that and at work they're like praying with their colleagues they're making decisions that are based around their faith that make a change for the team they're working in and it's just ridiculous isn't it that you know actually that's like amazing and yet in our little small kind of closeted world sometimes we think well they, you know, they, they're not really into singing, so I don't know. They don't close their eyes when they pray. You know, I'm not sure about them. Things like that. We just need to embrace our uniqueness, but learn how to center our own individuality around Jesus, because that is where we find what it really is to be ourselves. And one way we see this in the Bible is this phrase that Jesus says, follow me. He says, follow me to loads of people. Follow me. But what's interesting, like there are seven times he does this in the Gospel of Matthew, seven times. But each one is not follow me onto this cookie cutter, sausage machine, you know, like uh, process where we're all going to do the same. Each time he's saying to people unique individual things that matter to them. And actually sometimes the church has become a bit a cropper when we've looked at what he says to one person and go, well, this must be true for everyone. So he says to two brothers who are working, follow me and I will take the skills and the principles you're using catching fish to use it to catch people. He says, someone says, I want to follow you, but I can't do it right now. And he says, no, if you're going to follow me, you need to forget about waiting to bury your own dad. Uh, You know, it sounds a bit harsh, but apparently the dad wasn't dead. He was like, I can follow you once my dad's died sometime in the future. Uh, He sees Matthew working in a tax booth, this traitorous enemy of the Jewish state. And he says, can I follow me? I want to come to your house for dinner. Basically saying, follow me to your house so you can make me dinner. Um, He says to some other disciples, follow me, but you need to take up your cross. You need to take up this life of self-sacrifice. He says to another one, you need to deny yourself now and follow me. And then he says to someone, you need to sell all your possessions, give it to the poor and follow me. So all these uniquenesses that Jesus has that we can miss. And this is something I've really been aware of leading a church. That you do a sermon, a talk, and it's such a blunt tool. So I could do, let's say we were doing a talk today about we need to understand that it's all about God's strength. and We, know, we don't need to strive or work hard. We need to rest and relax and allow God to be at work in your life. And stop, stop putting all the effort in and just relax and let God do it. And for some people here, that is amazing. You need to, yeah, I'm really, do you know what? I'm getting stressed. I just need to let God do it. For some people here, they're like, fantastic. That's great. I wasn't trying anyway. I'm not going to try now. 
But so you could do is there and be like, look, you need to take this seriously and you need to really kind of like dig into what God wants and you need to prioritize it and put it first and you need to stop messing around. And for some people that is, oh yeah, I do actually, I've been really like complacent, I've been drifting, I need to go on. And there are others who are like, oh my God, I always really feel like I'm doing too much, you know, I'm trying to fit everything in to, to be a good Christian and I'm not doing a good enough job. And he's just told me to do that. You know, or forgiveness, should we forgive people? I mean, yes, we should, but sometimes we need to confront people. You know, which one is it? And the reality is because we are unique and individual, this blunt, blunt tool of one person telling well, however many we are, 70 of us, to do one thing is, um, is not as effective as the fact that we've already found out that the Holy Spirit is so close, so intimately, intricately uh, entwined with us, that even the things we don't know about ourselves, he's already praying to the Father about, to go there and, and find out what does God want me to do. And then what I'd love to do is these talks is not to be saying, oh, we're doing this series, you should catch up if you've missed the last ones, but these talks just to be encouragements, excitements, and, and inspirations about just who God is in the moment, more like a more like an act of worship, you know, like some of us love to sing, love the lyrics in the songs, some of us love that new idea about God, you know, they both lead us to worship. So, uh, so if we have a place where we are each asking God, what's he doing in our, what are you doing in my life, what do you want me to do, and a group supporting us and a group encouraging us and asking us about that, I think it would be a really powerful place for us to be, a place where we'll see growth. In 1 Corinthians, Paul takes this massive time where he, where he, he talks about the uniqueness of everything. Uh, but he makes a point that it doesn't mean that we are separated. And he talks about a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is, so it is with Christ. So you don't have the situation saying, well, I, I'm not a good singer and I don't really... Uh, enjoy the singing so I'm not a proper Christian or someone saying I don't know I don't know my Bible very well so I'm not a proper Christian I don't manage to do an hour every morning quiet time so I'm not a very good Christian I don't serve in the homeless thing on Monday night so I'm not a very good Christian we understand that God might be asking us to do any of those things that's fine but we are all unique and individual we don't have to all be the same he ends that, this whole section saying this, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part of it. So we, taking that, uh, those two women things, we just want to refocus and understand that church isn't just this. Church isn't just hubs and church isn't even just doing a discipleship. Church is the fact that we are God's people made new with him in us part of his action in the world, co-working with God to bring about his kingdom breaking in. And we do all those things in all these different ways uh, and we just work towards that. Mm -hmm.